Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we're going to talk to Eric Leonards with Tactical Angling, and he runs trips primarily out of southern Wisconsin. And, of course, with the southern Wisconsin opener, we're going to talk a little bit about southern Wisconsin muskies. And I'm certain that some of the tactics and stuff he talks about you'll be able to apply to anywhere muskies swim. So hopefully, you know, you don't just hear the intro and go, oh, they're talking southern Wisconsin muskies and then tune out. Hopefully you're going to stick around and potentially listen to a few things that can help you catch more fish this season. As usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Brad and Carrie Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle. I'm your host, Jeff, with Team Rhino Outdoors. And Brad, Carrie, at least one of the openers is upon us, which means we officially know it is muskie season. Yeah, it's a uh, southern Wisconsin opener coming up. How about Green Bay? When does that open? Green Bay will open up with the northern zone. Okay. And there was something voted on by the DNR, something about at their latest Conservation Congress thing where they're talking now where when the southern zone opens, it's going to just not be a southern opener. It's going to be a muskie opener for Wisconsin, and you're going to be able to fish muskies everywhere. I'm not sh- I, I don't know that I agree with the decision, and I don't know how permanent the decision is yet, but that's kind of what I heard is that potentially moving forward, not this season at all, but moving forward, you might see that. So, oh, Interesting. Yeah, I I mean, you know, a lot of those fisheries, especially in the north, are dependent on natural reproduction, so it seems like we should probably let them do their thing. But I don't know. I mean, it's also one of those things, too, I guess, where this year, who knows what they're going to see up there in northern Wisconsin. Although, I mean, I guess most of the lakes are ice-free now, and if they're not, you know, today, they will be by the game fish opener this coming weekend. So it'll be... I don't know. It's interesting. I, I, like I said, I, I can't say that I agree with the, the deal. I mean, we've operated this long with it. It seems like we should just left things alone, but I'm not the smart one that makes those decisions. Are they saying they'd go with the early opener or with the late one though, Jeff? Maybe they'll move the early one to the late one and it's all the same time after spawn. It doesn't sound like it. I'm fairly positive. It's, they're going to open it with the rest of the, like, it will just be, here's fishing opener in Wisconsin instead of having the two zones. So I don't know. We'll see what happens, I guess. The one thing that's always interesting is that mother nature always puts its twist into the whole thing too. So, you know, some years you're going to see pre-spawn, some you're going to see post and, and that's kind of what you're going to probably see here coming up in your Southern zone as far as musky opener. So it's, it's always hard to say, Jeff. You know, we've had some early ice outs, and I would say that this is more typical for my area anyway. Honestly, we're at the uh, the graces of our weather patterns, and this year it's going to be a little bit uh, chillier than normal. I will say, you know, like you're talking about with spawning fish, I saw the results from Cave Run. That was this, this weekend. You know, for anybody who cares, it's Sunday night. This episode will come out in like three days, but... And it didn't look like the results were that impressive. I don't believe there was a double. I think there was only a handful of doubles, and that's what won the tournament. 27 muskies caught over the course of two days for over 100 bullets is not great for Cave Run. And I guess it's, you know, that same mix. They're dealing with that. You know, some fish are pre-spawn, some fish are in-spawn, some are post-spawn. It's it's just been crazy all across the muskie zone. So and there's no, I guess, perfect answer that way. The one thing about most of those fisheries, you know, we're talking southern Wisconsin, we're talking, you know, cave run is a lot of them are put and take fisheries, essentially. They're reliant almost 100% on stocking. There's no natural reproduction. So I guess we're not messing with them too much as far as 
any of that is concerned. Yeah, you're right, Jeff. I mean, I, I think everywhere, I mean, we've, we've talked about it for a couple of weeks now. It's not been like lighted up strong fishing, you know? And I think, again, it, it's related to the weather. We've had some little warm-ups, a bunch of cold fronts, another warm-up, another cold front. And uh, those have been nationwide. So, I mean, that's a big part of the factors here. Who knows? We'll see when this weather all finally decides to stabilize, what kind of fishing we're really going to have. So that's part of the gig. Well, let's kind of cut the intro a little bit shorter, I guess, than typical, or maybe it's normal lately. Our intros have been a little bit shorter. But anyways, if you're looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventure, and for many, it starts this weekend, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. We have basically everything that you're going to need to go musky fishing this year. And you can also check out muskymayhemtackle.com because if you're looking for custom blades, I know Carrie's just reloaded the website with a few different options. You can definitely check that out. And Brad, last episode we talked about Bahio sunglasses and the demand for those was good enough, I would say. We'll say strong to possibly strong. I wasn't very well stocked on them because it was something we weren't exactly sure how it was going to go over. And so if you're looking for those... We will be restocked hopefully by the time we have this episode released, if not shortly thereafter. And again, if there's something on our website that you're looking for that Bahio carries, certainly shoot us a message and we will get that for you. And if not, we have back in stock requests. You can sign up to get notified when a pair of glasses comes in and we can get that out to you as well. Definitely check them out. If you're in the market for new glasses, I mean, the Bahios are something that are phenomenal. And I know I I said this on our Facebook Live we did uh, Thursday night. I said it on the podcast before this one. But you're talking to a guy that wore Costa Del Mars for 25 to 30 years and absolutely loved them, obviously, if I wore them that many years. But, hey, they're the creators of Costa that have now started this video. And the reason for that is uh, Costa Del Mar had sold. And so they came back out with their own product line, and they they knocked it out of the park, Jeff, plain and simple. So definitely give them a check. There's been a lot of questions. I've had a ton of people uh, message me what lenses I prefer to wear. Myself, my eyes are very sensitive to light, so I choose to use the blue lens, which is a gray lens. And they are a little bit more eye shading, I guess I would say. You know, they block more of the sun. So I generally go with the blue. But if you're really, really wanting the best pair of glasses to be able to see fish in the water, see your baits coming through the water, you're definitely going to want to check out the green mirror. The green mirror has an amber lens, probably noted as being probably the best for vision into the water. So something to think about. Figured I'd just hit it up here on the podcast instead of trying to answer a ton of questions. And there's tons of frames to choose from. So give them a look. Yeah, for sure. I took out the green mirror and I was checking out sturgeon up here in Wisconsin the other day and it was pretty awesome what you could see in the water with those things. It was great. I know that I, I also want to check out a pair of silver mirror. I think those look like they could potentially be pretty solid as well. Yeah, I just got my first pair of those. It's uh, That's more of an amber again lens as well. And, uh, you know, honestly, I wore Carrie's green lens fishing here probably a month ago. And I will honestly say for the first time ever, I finally found some glass where I can wear the green mirror or the the chrome mirror because of that amber lens. I've never really liked it just because my eyes are so sensitive to the light. But uh, you put a 
pair of heels on and literally right away your eyes relax. They definitely block out the, the nasty rays that kind of hurt your eyes. And it's quite amazing. It really, truly is. I'm flabbergasted at, at the quality and, and the way they fit and feel, as well as the opportunity to actually see how well they work looking into the water. Well, Brad and Kerry, I think that we should quit the infomercial right now, and uh, we should go get out of that, get, dial up that conversation with Eric Leonard's tactical angling. Yeah, it kind of was an info commercial, but you know what, Jeff? They're so impressive, and I think it's worth mentioning. So pretty cool stuff. Let's get it done tonight. All right, our guest today is Eric Leonard's from Tactical Angling, and Eric primarily fishes down in southern Wisconsin. But not only are you a musky fisherman, Eric, you definitely are multi-species. It sounds like you've been doing a lot of that this spring, and we'll dive into that a little bit. But it's your first time on a podcast. First off, I want to thank you for coming out you know, on Sunday night, taking your time out of your schedule to do this. And secondly, why don't you give the listeners an idea kind of you know, what you have going on? It sounds like you're... You know, like I said, you're, you're guiding all the time, you're fishing, filming, sounds like you're doing a whole bunch of different things. And so why don't you talk about that, your guide service, maybe what got you into musky fishing? You bet. Well, I run Tactical Angling Guide Service, and we fish all over southeastern Wisconsin uh, and southern Wisconsin. I do a little bit on Delavan and Geneva as well. I grew up on Pewaukee Lake, and, and uh, you know, fishing for me was, you know, a daily pastime. I mean, anytime I could finish my schoolwork and get down to the dock, I would spend a fair amount of time, you know, just, just casting aimlessly large baits, trying to catch a muskie. Cause I heard the Pewaukee was a, a good muskie lake and spent a little time hanging out at Smokey's bait shop with some of the guys there and listening to the stories. And I don't think I caught one for years. You know I mean? It, <laughs> it took me a while to catch my first muskie and I caught it by accident. And, uh, that's kind of what got me hooked on it. I, I was fishing, fishing bass and caught one, a small one on a top water. And I was like, you know, this is, this is the greatest thing ever. It all was so exciting. So I went out and, you know, bought myself a Abu Garcia 6,500 and a, a real stout musky casting rod and like five obnoxiously large baits and thought, well, if you can catch them bass fishing, you know, they're, they gotta be easier to catch than, than I thought. So I, I spent some time doing it and realized that, uh, it wasn't nearly as, as easy as I thought. And, and that's kind of what got me hooked, you know, was, was trying to figure out the mechanics and the inner workings and, you know, how to really be successful with a fish that's just a heck of a lot harder to catch than, than the majority of the other ones swimming in the lake. So that's what got me hooked. I am really a species guide. I mean, you know, I might run a musky trip in the morning, switch gears, put my stuff away and, and go out for panfish in the afternoon. So I do really fish everything, I, I would say, other than, you know, like your catfish and sturgeon and stuff like that mainly large and small ball bass, walleye musky, you know, that I would say I run as many musky trips as I do panfish trips. You know, it's just, there's certain times of the year, your spring and fall time periods where, uh, I spend more time musky fishing, I think, than I, than I do bass fishing, but as a multi-species guide, I do it all. So hopefully I can answer any questions you have. Well, let's dive into multi-species part of this to start off with. So, you're running a lot of trips. Obviously, you're able to get out before the muskie season. What have you seen so far this spring, and how do you compare it to what you would typically see? Well, spring has been, you know, as everybody as everybody's kind of said, it's it's been odd. You know, winter's been hanging on a lot longer than it normally does. Uh, we've had our fair share of, of cold, inconsistent days, and I think that's kind of been one of one of the struggles that we've been facing. I mean, I spent a fair amount of time this spring 
up in Green Bay, chasing around Green Bay walleyes, and then I've uh, been doing some early catch and release bass season stuff down here now that we have that ability to do that here in Wisconsin. Um, we've been catching some pike accidentally in the process and, and crappies and stuff as well, but water temperatures are still in the 40s. I mean, it's cold. Normally, when I start chasing bass around early in the year, I do see a lot of muskies in the shallows, and I, I haven't really seen that this year. Uh, you know, a lot of the shallower areas and warmer bays and good spots, you know, with early season weed growth, uh, I haven't really seen any muskies hanging around. I know there, obviously, there's numerous things that dictate when they when they decide to go through the spawning process along with water temperature, and, you know, that's a big factor. And I just, I haven't seen many of them, but bass bite's been okay. We've had to, had to work hard for them, but we're catching fish, so. What kind of advantage do you think it gives you to be a multi-species fisherman as a muskie fisherman? I just love to fish, you know? I mean, so I, I, I'm not just specifically focused, obviously, on one type of fish. And you're, you're very in tune with what's going on on different lakes that you fish. I mean, muskies, obviously, you know, they eat panfish. And so there's areas where panfish will concentrate. And you'll find muskies along with them. I mean... Being a multi-species guide, you spend a lot of time just out in different areas on the lake and not necessarily running the same stagnant patterns that maybe you would if you just fished one type of fish. So I think you're just more in tune with what's going on. I mean, most guys that musky fish, you know, probably probably do some bass fishing here or there, pan fishing here or there. But I know there are some people out there that really just focus on one specific fish, whether that be bass or muskies. You know, I think that I think that you miss out a little bit when you do that. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I do think some of the best muskie fishermen out there are multi-species fishermen. So that's why I asked the question. I, I think, you know, the more time you spend on the water, obviously it's going to only improve your odds with, with all the fishing that you do. Personally, I really think that, uh, like I said, the multi-species fishermen seem to get it done before the uh, one fish species fishermen, I would say. Well, you know, what's funny about that too, is, is you run into techniques and tactics that, that work, you know, like, uh, you might fish, you know, downsized baits uh, for bass or something and end up catching, you know, walleyes. I mean, I've had muskies, you know, oftentimes when I'm throwing small jerk baits for bass, I've had muskies where they come in hot on them. And it's like, you can kind of key in on what those fish are doing or what would maybe, you know, be a good, a good presentation to start with if you were trying to target muskies, you know? Yeah, hands down, hands down. And I, I think, uh, you know, all fish relate to some of the same types of structure as well. So, I mean, that definitely becomes part of the equation as well. Absolutely. All right. So, Eric, we've talked previously. We had, we had In fact, we did a full week of podcasts on early season muskies. And, of course, we're, you know, we're still in early season. So, it's something we're going to hammer again. Different guests talking now southern Wisconsin again. We had Jeff Hansen. He gave his thoughts on southern Wisconsin. But based on what you've seen right now, what kind of water temperatures are you going to be looking at, do you think, for this opening weekend? Well, I mean, I know that, you know, your back bays, you know, your north northern sections of the lake are tentatively supposed to warm faster. But some of the, what, what a couple of things I look at are, you know, your areas that aren't necessarily, like the, I pay close attention to the wind. So, for, in, for instance, if, if cold water is blowing into a certain area, I might roll that area out. But We've had, you know, fluctuations of only a few degrees, really. Like your back bays are any, anywhere from 49 to uh, 51, 52 uh, during the afternoon, you know, when the sun's out on some of these smaller lakes that I fish. 
I've seen as little as like 44 to 46 in the main lake. So I think, I mean, we're not supposed to get any significant warm-ups this week. I think the, the primarily the week is supposed to be kind of cloud covered and, you know, kind of consistent from what I've seen weather in the fifties. So I don't think it's going to be much warmer than that. I think you can pretty much expect, you know, mid to high forties to low fifties in some of your backwater uh, spots or, you know, if you can find dirty water, I mean, that's kind of what I'm going to key in on this weekend is some of the dirty water spots that aren't being hit heavily. In your estimation, do you think the muskies are done spawning in southern Wisconsin? Because I've heard mixed reports I, on whether they are or they're not going to be. I don't. You know, I a lot of times, like I said, early in the year, when I'm out bass fishing, I, I, I mean, I fish some of those areas for bass that the muskies will spawn in. And I haven't seen any, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not there. I just, I, I, mean, I spend a lot of time on the water and I just, usually you'll see a paired up and I haven't, you know, and I mean, uh, we've got a lake here right close to me, uh, Conemwalk Lake, where there's a river system and there's a, a bridge that goes over the river and you can watch the fish, the muskies as they'll come up in the refuge area to spawn. And I stop every once in a while and look and it's, it's like some days they're there, some days they're not. So. I know they want to carry on with the spawning process, and I think water temperature does play a pretty big role in when that happens. But I haven't. I don't think they're going to be completely done. I wish you know. In, in the perfect in the perfect world, you hope they're done by opening day, and that's all over with, and you know, and you can just kind of carry on with your normal stuff. But I don't think that I don't think they're going to be done. Well, then that process there by the you know that you were talking about by Oconomowoc, that's been going on then now for you know, off and on probably for three weeks, because when I was down there stocking muskies, it was the same kind of situation, I guess. So it's, which stands to reason. I mean, the, the water temperatures probably haven't hardly moved in three weeks. Yeah. You know, it's weird. It's like, we'll have, we had a couple warm days, you know, in the sixties, we had that one day that was like touching 80 in most of Southeastern Wisconsin. And I think, you know, the length of the day plays into it. You know, there's several factors, but I know these fish, you know, they want to carry on with the normal stuff that they do in the spring but like i said it's we haven't had those warm days and if we do get a warm day it's usually followed by a cold one with rain so it's been just so inconsistent i don't think they're all going to be done so then let's talk bait size that's one thing that we've talked about a little bit is you know bait size are you going to be starting small or do you pretty much just start throwing regular summer patterns right away to start so, the season i downsize a lot i prefer smaller baits and i'll run smaller baits later than some now, with that being said, if I have two or three people in the boat, if I have three people, usually two of them are, you know, potentially throwing something smaller, and then I will throw an oddball bait or have somebody throw an oddball bait, you know, something a little bit bigger, you know, hoping that maybe some, you know, some some fish out there is looking for an easy meal, and I go usually smaller than most, and I think I being that I fish Pewaukee Lake a lot, Pewaukee Lake is kind of a small bait lake. It's one of those lakes where like uh, Bill from Slammer Tackle, the, like the five-inch shallow minnow, the four-inch deep shad, you know, some of those baits work well. Bagley's obviously were good back in the day. Uh, you know, so smaller bait, I mean, those fish key those fish key in on a lot of smaller panfish. So those smaller panfish, uh, you know, they're, they're almost, the, the forage base out there is that is that smaller size. So I'll start smaller, but some of the lakes that I fish, I do go a little bit bigger, but usually I like to have something big readily available and i can kind of just let the fish tell me what they want to do you know so i'll back up a little bit i heard you talk a little bit about you were going to potentially look for some dirtier water because it'll be warmer when you find the dirtier water versus the clear water will that change your presentation as far as baits go 
not a whole lot. Uh, usually just that, that warmer, the dirtier water is going to be warmer. And I find that clear water muskies early in the year are, are tougher to catch than dirtier water muskies. You know, they're that dirtier water kind of disorients them a little bit and they're relying more on, you know, like a lateral line type feeding process opposed to clear water where they have time to analyze the bait. You know what I mean? And, uh, I think that that, I think on a lake where fish see a lot of baits, that dirty water is, is a good area to start your, your focus. All right. So Eric, early season for most every single musky fisherman, weeds are going to play a part in, in the structure that they're looking for. Is that a major part of your plan as well? Yeah. I mean, I fish, I focus on weeds a lot because weeds, you know, early weed growth will pull panfish in, crappies, bluegills, you know, the bass will come in and feed on those crappies and bluegills on occasion. And, uh, the muskies will come in as well and feed on the bass, crappies and bluegills. So I like to focus on, you know, weeds, usually the areas, especially an area where I can find early good, good green cabbage, uh, which I think is going to be tougher to find this year than it has been in the past. But I spent a lot of time looking at my electronics and, you know, utilizing side scan and finding good clumps of weeds because not only do those areas, you know, the areas that have those weeds are usually the warmer areas as well. So they kind of work hand in hand. You know, you mentioned electronics there. Back in the day, you know, pri- you know, prior to like when I used to fish the early season muskies quite a bit, I would actually go out and I would, I would check out lakes. I would check out weed growth. I would check out rock bars. I would lay waypoints down on different structure that I thought I wanted to target for early season. Is that all something that you do? Or since you're out multi-species fishing anyways, just kind of fits right into your, your daily routine, I guess I would say. Well, absolutely. You know, we cover a lot of water in the spring because oftentimes, like if I go out bass fishing or crappie fishing or something, I throw a lot of search baits, you know, I'm looking for fish. And as I'm doing that, I'm covering a lot of water. You know, we're not necessarily keying in on specific areas. We're just, we're just covering water, looking for active fish that have moved up. And I see things that, you know, that, that catch my attention. And I mean, we encounter a lot of muskies bass fishing you know i I joked years ago i I had a guy approach me at the dock and he said i have been musky fishing for years i don't know how to catch one and i said well go bass fishing because usually that's a a good way to encounter them you know a lot of bass guys find muskies that way but um so yeah i do drop waypoints and stuff if i see something that looks good i might drop a waypoint and come check it out later my hummingbirds i think i think they have like a storage of like 2500 or 5000 waypoints and you can find yourself quickly dropping too many. So waypoint management is important too. But yeah, I mean, oftentimes as, as I'm covering water, I'll definitely go back and check stuff out later on that I, that I maybe found while I was fishing panfish or bass. Sure. I heard you mention hummingbird. Have you played around with the uh, Garmin live scope at all lately? A buddy of mine I fish tournaments with has it on his boat. And one of the reasons I don't have it on mine is because I've been waiting for, I've got an order in for a, a hummingbird mega live unit. And I have hummingbird units on my boat. So the simplicity of the Mega Live seems to work better for me because then I don't have to add an extra, another external unit. So I haven't been running. I don't run live scope, but it's, it's cool. I mean, any type of forward facing sonar where you can see things in real time, you know, I think, I think will definitely be beneficial, especially for certain bites. You know, I use live scope drop shotting bass and I mean, you could see them come up and look at the bait and, you know, it was pretty cool. You could, you could tell, see, kind of see how they react to it. You know, I think muskies will, I think seeing muskies on live scope would be really cool or, or on hummingbird mega live. You know, well, I know the one thing down there by you guys is there used to be that 
deeper water jigging bite. I, you know, bondies used to be a thing. I don't know if they still are a thing. It seemed like it was, you know, they weren't any, like everybody thought it was like a reservoir tactic, Southern, you know, Southern musky fishery tactic. And then all of a sudden, you know, it started getting implemented in your lakes. And I know it was pretty heavy there. I would imagine if that yeah. bite still exists, that the panoptics are, yeah, exactly. They'd be perfect for that. Yeah. A buddy of mine, uh, Aaron Stack, he's, uh, he's, he's big on that jigging bite and, uh, has done really well doing it, but it's that's tedious fishing in my opinion. <laughs> um, but he's, I, I think something like that where you got, you know, that being able to see things in real time and like a deep water bite like that, or maybe sucker fishing, you know, I mean, I think would be really cool. Like I said, I've got a unit on order, but I haven't been able to get my hands on it yet. And do you have any idea when you might get your hands on that? Because I've heard it's, uh, it's a little rough going. It was supposed to be September of last year. Okay. (laughs) I'm still waiting. So, yeah. But that's kind of the way everything goes. You know, it's like, I mean, I'm sure you know more than most, you know, dealing with tackle and stuff. What's been nice is, you know, like I shop on your site and I know you've got a lot of stuff in stock, which is cool. I did see, I was at a Shield store not too long ago, and surprisingly, they had stacks of uh mega live sitting in their store so if there is somebody out there me yeah they had a pile of them so something to be aware of for everybody that's listening out there if you are looking for one i know they're available at shields or at least the one i was at so something to think about yeah i saw one there was a marine dealer that had one here locally and then they by the time i was made aware of it it was gone so I'm catching fish either way. I utilize side imaging a lot and you know, it's, I I've made it this far without it. So <laughs> when it, when it shows up, it shows up, but uh, I do think it will be cool. It's definitely a game changer. It's just another tool that you can use to improve some of your fishing, right? I, Absolutely. I don't know that it's the catch all end all of fishing by any means, but you know, the one thing I, I know we've had a bunch of different conversations like this, uh, Ty Sennett and I, a couple of weeks ago when we were on, uh, the podcast, we were talking about it and utilizing it while you're guiding. And one of the issues that I have with that side of it is just plain and simple, the aspect of you're staring at a screen versus actually communicating and entertaining maybe your clientele. So that's the one thing that I always would be concerned about with a live imaging of some sort in the boat. A little but, bit, uh, a little I mean, bit like video game fishing. I agree. Yeah. The, but the thing is, is that maybe that puts an extra fish in the boat a day when it comes to the musky world, or maybe like you being a multi-species fisherman, if there's crappies on a tree or, you know, on a weed edge, blah, blah, blah. And you can get on them quicker. Definitely. is going to, it's a tool. It's a great tool. hundred percent. So, I focus a lot on electronics. I try to, you know, what I do when I'm out with customers is I try to help them understand what I'm looking for because I think a lot of people have a tough time. I mean, it's easy to go spend the money on a unit, but actually figuring out how to read that unit, you know, that's a whole other layer of difficulty, you know. So I, I spend a lot of time with customers and I think they get a kick out of it. I mean, being out with a guide is cool. And, you know, as, as a guide, you should kind of have the latest and greatest gear. And to be able to share some of that stuff with your customers, you know, show them what you're looking at, show them how to read side imaging, you know, explaining to, explaining to them, you know, what, what a, uh, a weed bed or a rock bar looks like and pointing it out. And actually, I mean, there's been times where we go out and, you know, we mark fish and we end up catching those fish and they really get a kick out of that. So I do think it, 
you know, it, it's cool if you use it that way and you make sure that you engage with your customer when you're doing that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it was kind of interesting. I was part of a guide panel here, I don't know, a few weekends ago. And one of the questions that I posed back to the crowd that was there visiting, how many of them expected to jump in a guide's boat and see some sort of a live uh, in that guide's boat for their guide trip? And sure. remarkably, it was probably, let's say, 65 to 75% of the crowd raised their hand on that. So there's definitely a push there. And, you know, if you think about it, there's ways to use that or utilize that tool to help your customers gain more knowledge. And I think that's why people hire guides, generally speaking. So it's, it's kind of weird. It's a toss up in some sort of fashion or form, in my opinion, you know, but I, I do think that uh, myself as being a guide, I definitely want to stay in tune with, you know, the technology that continues to grow. And, and I think it's important that you uh, stay current with some of that as well. So I don't know. I'm not saying it's a bad thing by any means. I'm not calling it out and saying, man, this is a mistake. I'm just saying we as guides maybe have to be sensible on how we use it too. Sure. I agree. You know, Brad, when it comes to that though, you were talking about, you know, your electronics and having the live units. I know of a good fair number of guides that don't implement it at all and they catch plenty of muskies. I actually think, and I'm sure you probably agree, it's more important for you know, the guide in, in this case, just your everyday angler to really utilize their side imaging before they're worried about live. If you don't have the side imaging thing figured out, in my opinion, I think you're at a bigger disadvantage than you are if you have some sort of live imaging. Well, everybody's always looking for an edge, right? I mean, I think, I think people as fishermen or, or, or anglers in general, uh, we always want to find an easier way to catch these fish, you know? you know, anytime you can find a tool that helps you do that, I think that's, that's an important thing, but I've had very few customers ever get in my boat and say, Hey, does this thing have, you know, is it mega live or, or, or live scope? You know, it's that they're more or less along for the, uh, the experience. I think. It's a tough one. That's what I would say. I mean, I, I was intrigued to see how many people raised their hand that day when I posed that question, you know, you know, I think everybody hires a guide for a different reason, and I think it's important to understand that as well. So, I don't know. I, I've got, I guess, mixed emotions in the sense of how you manipulate that, how you use it, so on and so forth. And I I think it's awesome because, I, I like I said before, you got to stay in tune with it. But I think Jeff hit it on the head, too. Side imaging is, is huge, and I, I think if you were to look at it, we've said this many, many times over the years on this podcast already, that it is probably the number one tool that people need to learn, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I use it every day. And, you know, while it may not be forward-facing or, 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 or live scope or mega live, it, uh, it, it helps me, you know, eliminate bodies of water that I don't want to fish. It helps me find new bodies or, or new areas on a body of water that I do want to fish you know, it's really been a game changer. Well, enough of the electronics crap. Let's talk more fishing. <laughs> All right, let's do it, Brad. Lead the way. Uh-huh. So here we are. I mean, you know, we've talked a little bit about bait size and what have you with this cooler water temps and so on and so forth. If, if it is, you know, pre-spawn, I'm curious. I mean, how often do you deal with that, Eric? And, and what are you going to be trying to do? 
if it is a pre-spawn scenario? I think cover water, uh, you know, focus on, obviously I've got a kind of a milk run of spots. I like to fish, but, uh, I'm just gonna, I'm going to cover a lot of water. I'm going to fish a lot of the lake and, and just try to key in on some of those areas. I'm definitely going to be using smaller baits. I think that's key. I also think early in the year, if there's areas that are heavily fished, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to try to get away from those areas. Some of the busier, you know, uh, kind of main lake spots that everybody's familiar with these muskies. I, I think they're, you know, when they're in a spawning process, I mean, they're very focused on that. They will, I, I find that they will eat, but you know, it usually takes some coaxing. And so I'm going to try to fish some of the areas that maybe others don't. One thing that I, you know, I've always thought I don't normally get to the opportunity to pre-spawn fish, but you know, it, it should be, in a sense, that all the fish don't spawn at the exact same time, right? So you're going to have some of those fish are done, some aren't. For sure. I'm always curious to hear, you know, kind of the tactics. And I know we talked about the darker water. I think that's super smart. How about, let's talk a little bit more about lure choice. You said smaller, but uh, is there a style of bait that you're going to go towards with pre-spawn yeah, fish? Yeah, I think... Yep, absolutely. I think uh, your small jerk baits, glide baits, things, you know, like your suix, the slammer, uh, shallow minnow, stuff like that. I mean, any of those small baits that have maybe, a, you know, more erratic action, not necessarily worked hard, but uh, that'll get these fish to, to react. When fish don't want to eat, I, I oftentimes I'll just try to get them to react. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a big part of the equation. And, and I think this goes after like, you know, on a normal year too. I know it seems like in Wisconsin, Southern Wisconsin, a lot, a lot of people are using erratic or maybe a pull pause of any sort, whether it be side to side or down and up. I mean, that whole yeah. pull pause concept, even with a crankbait, like you're saying, twitching or whatever, keeping that bait more in their face. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I mean, if you can, you know, entice these fish into biting, I mean, I don't think blades will be a factor at all. I think there'll probably be guys out there throwing them, but with the water temperatures as cold as they are, I'm not going to personally spend a whole lot of time, but I mean, they're not far behind, you know, if we ever get a warm up or when we get a warm up, we're definitely going to be working some of those into the equation as well. Absolutely. How about speed? I mean, obviously speed can be a big proponent to catching fish. And it sounds like, I mean, if we're talking about them style of baits, you're kind of more or less hanging that in their face. So speed yeah, becomes a big part of that equation as well. Yeah, I don't like to give them too long to analyze it, especially if you're fishing clear water. But I do, you know, I I definitely like that. I think it's that oftentimes, I mean, like bass fishing, I'm finding a lot of fish, you know, when you're reeling a bait in and you pause it. I, I've been finding a lot of fish this year where they'll hit it on the pause. And I think the muskies will do the same thing. But you have to get out there and start exper experimenting a little bit with the cadence to figure it out. And it's tougher when you're musky fishing than bass fishing because you do get fewer bites. But being able to, you know, try to just dial in a pattern by, you know, varying your retrieve speed and, and letting it hang a little longer, maybe seeing what, what happens will be a good way to do that. Absolutely. Brad talked about speed a little bit. But so I think one thing that a lot of people get hung up on, like let's say they're working a glide bait or a jerk bait, is they get really they get into a cadence and they kind of stick with that same cadence. Is that something that you do, or are you going to try to go 
one retrieve faster than the other, more pauses, quicker quicker uh, snaps, or are you kind of just uh, the same kind of deal? Nice I'm changing back. it up constantly. I'm changing things constantly. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's tougher with musky fishing because, you know, if I'm bass fishing and I'm not getting bites, I mean, you, you know, you go out and you expect to catch some bass. You know, you don't always go out and expect to catch a musky. So it is, it is tougher to dial in a pattern that way. But I snap sometimes, I mean, I'll fish real shallow stuff and I'll snap up, you know, all these stuff that, that maybe others won't and to just try to get those fish to react. So let's talk about changing a little bit. We're not talking about changing your, your uh, cadence. Let's talk about changing baits. How long are you going to continue to work a bait? You know, let's say you've, you've had the bait on for three hours, four hours, you haven't moved a fish. Are you going to continue to, st- are you so confident in your presentation that you're going to stick with that all day? Or are you going to start no. changing some things up? No, I definitely have confidence baits that I'll work longer than others. But, you know, I've seen people where they'll spend more time in their tackle box than they do fishing. You know, I mean, they're, they're constantly making changes. And I like to give everything a, a fair shake, you know, on baits that I'm not necessarily as comfortable with, newer baits or baits that I haven't fished a whole lot. Usually I'm not using those on guide trips. I mean, you know, for the most part, when I've got customers out, they're throwing confidence baits. Uh, it's tough for opener because, everything has to develop a confidence level, right? I mean, if, if you fish for, you know, a week or two, and all of a sudden you start catching fish on a specific pattern or bait or cadence, you know, then you can dial in that program a little bit better. But on opening day, I just, I just start with a good starting lineup of good baits and, and I let them rip for at least an hour or two before I start switching stuff up. I think that's the one thing that is difficult about opening day is you don't ha- really have much to go off of your, everything's kind of, no kind of fresh and new and especially if you're a new angler you have even less idea of where to start yeah absolutely but you know the cool thing is obviously um you know wisconsin here i mean i've got customers that come up from illinois and they fish opening day with me and they fish last year with me and you know they make it they're making a tradition out of it it's the same group of guys and you know there's there's a nostalgia factor to opening day it's just a cool day to be out on the water you know and obviously now that we've got catch and release bass season and stuff here i mean i've been i've been open water fishing for two months now, you know, and, uh, you know, but I just, it's, I'm definitely anxious to get out and do the musky thing. And I'm sure Minnesota is probably the same way. I mean, it's, you know, it's that, that musky openers and nostalgic time to be on the water, even though you don't necessarily have a program dialed in, it's just, it's cool to be out and, and, and to get, get started on dialing one in. <laughs> you know, if the sun ever does poke out early season, do you find yourself getting more bites, say in the afternoon than the morning? I know typically for, sure. for me, that's what I like to do is I, I mean, there's a lot of people that want to get out right away, sometimes at midnight on, on the opener and, and that no works, thanks. you know, that works. But for me, it's always like, eh, if I get out by 10 o'clock and then I can fish till dark, I'd think I'd rather hit that bite. I'm too old for that, man. i mean i'm a night owl i grind you know i'll grind till two three four in the morning fishing walleyes in the spring when i'm looking for those really big fish i think 100 percent. if you're out fishing early early in the morning i mean there's obviously windows with musky fishing that i feel like are more significant than maybe when you're out fishing panfish or bass but i think afternoon is a much better time to be on the water the only downfall to that is more anglers are usually out in the afternoon and if you do have a sunny warm opener where it doesn't look like we're gonna have you do get some people that are getting the boat out you know they're doing recreation not necessarily i mean i've seen skiers and jet skis out already believe it or not but you know if you're fishing shallow stuff and and all of a sudden you got people you know tearing around the speed boats and stuff and putting them on the lifts or whatever i mean those muskies will i feel like that moves fish around too 
But if I had to pick, I'll definitely, I, I think your, your afternoon time period or, or at least mid-morning when things start to warm up a little bit is, is a better time to be on the water. Yeah, definitely. In my opinion, I feel the same way. Let's talk a little bit about moon phases. I mean, I would imagine you ha- you have just as much confidence in moon phases as you do any other given time of the year, right? I am a huge believer in the moon. And I mean, not, necessar- not necessarily just moonrise and moonset, but overhead and underfoot as well. I don't get as tied into the new moon period as some, but I, I focus big time on the moon. You know, I know... Next week, we've got a pretty good moon day predicted. Um, I think there's like a, a mid-morning minor and then a, a real early morning major or later afternoon major as well. But yeah, I, I, I'll plan trips around the moon. I guess uh, shifting away from the moon, I do have some questions too, Eric. You know, during this first opening week, you know, opening day, whatever you want to say, but that, that first week, are you going to utilize trolling at all in your in your game plan? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I like to cast for them, but I get people's of all, I get people of all skill levels in the boat. And oftentimes I find with customers, they cast for a little while and then maybe they tire out and you know, that's a good time to switch to trolling. Not necessarily just to give your customers a chance to eat lunch or relax, but uh, just to cover water. I mean, I, I'm, I like to troll. I like to cover water. You know, I think we'll, we'll probably mix it up. I mean, until I get out there and really see, what I'm dealing with, um, you know, that'll dictate what I decide to do, but I like the mix of variety of casting and trolling in not a lot of my trips. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an under, underutilized tool. And I, I was just kind of curious how you kind of mix that in. You pretty much answered it exactly the way I would think you would. You do hear a lot of people, you know, ah, oh, they're you know, catching them trolling. It's not as exciting. And I'm, you know, in my opinion, anytime you can have a successful day on the water, you can put a potential first muskie in the boat or, you know, just, just to get that, get that going and, and have a successful day for your customers. I don't, I don't care if you have to do a trolling casting. I mean, you know, it's it, oftentimes it's a great way to break the day up. Um, and I get people, I mean, I had a guy last year, he wanted to cast for him, but he was in his mid eighties and, you know, he had balance issues and, and like, a, like a lot of people do in the boat, you know, and it just, there was just no way we were going to be able to do that. I actually did get him a fish casting, but it was, uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a grind. He was sitting down and, uh, he just, we went back on one and got it to bite right at the moon. And it was, it was a pretty cool deal, but you know, for the most part, I mean, sometimes you get people that just can't cast, you know, that, that, and, and I mean, you, you know, as my, as a guide, it's my job to teach him to do that, but they're not necessarily, not everybody's able to do that for eight or 10 hours. And, um, and that's where trolling is a really good way to mix things up. So let me ask you a little bit about the trolling then. You ever play around with, you know, short line speed trolling in the south or are you pretty much going to be? Sure. Okay. I was just curious on that because it seems like that's a very common technique we talk about with Kevin Goldberg. He does that out east quite a bit. And you don't hear many people doing it over here in, you know, southern Wisconsin or Wisconsin in general. Or I mean, I don't think you hear many people doing it in Minnesota, do you, Brad? There's guys doing it, but I, I definitely don't see it as being the catch-all to, to musky fishing in our states, I guess, Jeff. I mean, honestly, if you think about it, that, that whole realm is uh, it's more something that you see in a lot of reservoirs in the south. I, I mean, that's where I see it mostly. So definitely can be an effective way to fish. And I, I, it's interesting because, in my opinion, 
I think a lot of times what happens to us is our, our clearer water that we get to enjoy here, both Minnesota and Wisconsin and other places out throughout the Midwest. I think that definitely maybe plays a factor in that whole thing. A hundred percent agree with you. I think also part of it is those, I mean, those anglers over there literally can fish all year round. So, I mean, they can target fish that we can't necessarily target. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's it. You know, is it about like Carrie just said, maybe is it about more about having stocked fish, you know, larger numbers of stocked fish. But I, I honestly think that it's just primarily that really, really dirty water. I mean, when we think our water's dirty, it's not even close to being dirty. I mean, that's the best way for me to explain it. Right. So I, I find it to be more that than anything. I think Jeff. Sure. That makes sense. Let's dive a little bit into that trolling deal. Are you, uh, again, I'm assuming you're sticking with the smaller baits. Pewaukee Lake, like you said, is it's really known for it. And the other question I have, I guess too, is that Pewaukee's not the only lake down there. Do you ever go fish Okachi too or not? Yeah, I fish, uh, I fish Okachi, Okatamawak, LaBelle, um, even Fowler a little bit, which is just a tiny little, uh, lake right by LaBelle. There's a muskie population in there. Um, Pewaukee is a favorite of mine. And, and then, you know, there's some popularity now with, uh, Geneva as well. I'm assuming you stick with smaller baits trolling, same as you would, you know, your casting program early season. I do. I mix it up a little bit and I'm, you know, I'm, pretty consistent and in, in changing dates but like you said early in the year uh especially opener you know you're kind of going into it with a clean slate you got to dial in something that that works you know eric you've been on the water um, quite a bit it sounds like this spring are you seeing as as much pressure from other anglers on the water this year that as we have say in 2020 and 2021 yes and no i mean i 2020 was i mean it'd be you know i i'd be out at 6 a.m. in the summer running a guide trip and there'd be, you know, water skiers out there. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of people were working, you know, when people were working remote, there were definitely people out and fishing, you know, recreationally has become just, it's become more popular in the recent years. So, I mean, I, I did see a ton of people out in 2020. I saw a lot of people out in 2021 and 2022 has kind of been the same way. I think I'm getting calls, you know, for, for guide trips and stuff, but I don't think, I think with the delayed, with uh, the, the longer winter and the late spring we've had, people are taking a little bit more time. I mean, they're, you know, it's hard to believe that we're into May already and, and it's still been as cold as it has, you know. I think a lot of times people associate nice weather with fishing and more from a multi-species, just get out and catch fish standpoint. I mean, most of the musky anglers are pretty hardcore and they'll fish in rain, snow, sleet, whatever. But yeah, I mean, I'm definitely seeing people on the water. Uh, like I said, I've seen some jet skis out already. I've seen some ski boats out already, believe it or not. You know, and then there's fishermen as well. And and, and those those high percentage lakes, those those popular musky lakes, any of the Class A lakes we have here in southeastern Wisconsin, I think they're probably going to have a good portion of people out musky fishing on, on, on opener. I guess that's good and bad. You know, it's always good when the, the sport's exploding and getting bigger. The bad part about it is you typically have to deal with more anglers on the water. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. As as somebody that does this for a living, I mean, obviously I'm happy that fishing is as popular as it is. I always encourage people, I mean, just get away from the crowds. I mean, people live and die in spots and it's, 
you know, you'll have somebody fishing a spot and somebody will pile on top of that person. Another person will pile on top of that person. And I'm one that I like to get away from the crowds. I mean, um, I do that a lot in green Bay, you know, everybody kind of rushes into the tributaries to fish for walleyes. And it's like, walleyes all over the bay, <laughs> you know, and then you can get away from the crowds and have a good time doing it, you know, and, and have some great successful days. You just got to be willing to, to not necessarily live and die in certain spots. You know, Eric, if you do find yourself in that scenario where you're dealing with tons and tons of pressure, like we're talking about, what are some of the ways that you combat that while you're on the water? Well, if it's really, really crazy busy, I may switch to trolling. You know, I may just try to cover more water at that point. Because oftentimes when there's a lot of people out there, that gets fish moving around. I just try to burn up water. That's probably some good advice. I think, uh, you know, fishing pressure is one thing. Boating pressure is another. And honestly, I think these fish get pretty used to those bodies of water where there is a ton of activity. So I think it affects the fishermen more than it really does the, the actual fish. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. So, Eric, I hear you You got yourself a little bit of a project that you're working on. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Pretty excited about it. I, I partnered with a charity called the Fishing for Good Foundation. And basically the goal is to take active military first responders and veterans out on the water and uh, on, on a guided fishing trip. And one of the ways we do that is we work with companies uh, and seek donations uh, to try to, you know, fund these fund these fishing trips. A friend of mine, Sam Veith, is, is the founder of the charity, and he started it about, I think, three years ago now. And, and basically the way it works is if you know a veteran or, you know, if you're a veteran yourself or active military, you can go on the website, which is um, fishingforgood.org, and you can you can either sign up there for a guided fishing trip at no cost, or you can nominate a veteran. And the way it works with some of these companies is companies will actually, you know, they may have some veterans that work for them or active military, first responders, whatever. And they may, you know, they can actually nominate their own employees, which is kind of a cool thing. So it's a neat way to, it, we're expanding this now to the Lake Country area. And that's, that's where I pr- primarily fish. So it'll be neat to be able to, I'm, I'm the first musky guide that's, that's worked with the charity. So it'll be really neat to be able to take some of these uh, people out on the water to fish for muskies. Overall, I just think it'll be a, a really neat experience. So I got to ask, you know, you, you said how can companies or companies are actually donating to help cover some of these costs. How do people go about that if somebody wanted to donate? Well, we're a 501c3 charity. So basically it's a lot of it right now is kind of just uh, door knocking. I mean, I've reached out to contacts that I have. I, I just started working with the charity this year. But like I said, we're a newer charity, and, and the goal is, initially it started on Delavan, Geneva. Sam was running the trips, and, and along with a couple other guides in the area, and to expand to the Lake Country area has been, you know, been my goal. And I've basically been just making phone calls and knocking on doors, but any company that donates, we issue a 501c3 tax-deductible receipt, and then they get, you know, social media presence. Uh, on our website and, you know, on, on, on social media channels and stuff like that. And most of the people just, you know, it's just a cool, good, feel good thing to do, but um, that's the only way we fund these trips. So, uh, and we offer the guides also do things to further reduced rate so that it's, you know, we can run more of the trips, but we do have a waiting list and we, you know, we try to get everybody that goes out of the website out. Anybody that wants to go out and fish with me has to just 
there's a drop down menu and they would just have to select, you know, Lake Country area or Waukesha County and what they want to fish for. So it sounds like it's a pretty good size, though. I mean, is multiple counties, I'm assuming. And is it just Wisconsin? Right now, it's just Wisconsin. Yeah, I know Sam's goal is is to expand. But, you know, it's really important that, that we work with qualified guides and, you know, everybody's got to kind of be aligned with the same goal. And so right now, yes, it's just southeastern Wisconsin. And I'm going to be the main guy here in Lake Country that's going to be handling all of the, you know, Pewaukee Lake, Okachi, Okanamowoc, LaBelle, all the, all the lakes that I fish here in Lake Country. Well, that's pretty cool. I, honestly, you're, you're giving back. I'm sure somebody out there that's listening would probably like to give to the, to the foundation to help it keep rolling, too. Yeah, you bet. You bet. And that's, that's the goal. You know, I mean, we never want to put anybody out. It's just, it's any donation we get, you know, uh, whether somebody wants to sponsor a trip or several trips or whatever. I mean, you know, we're grateful for any of that. And what's the social media if somebody's looking to check that out as well? Well, if you can go to fishingforgood.org and there's a tab that allows you to sponsor trips and then they can click donate that way, or they can get in touch with me. And you'll see some of the, you know, the websites or the, the listings there of some of the other companies that have donated. And then there's a tab for angler sign up, and that's where you enlist, you know, or, or nominate any, anybody that you think it would be, you know, be beneficial for. Perfect. Sounds great. And we'll have to check that out. And it's, yeah, there's, yeah, Fishing for Good is on Facebook, on Instagram. And I just, I, re- I ran my first Fishing for Good trip on Friday uh, of the year. And, got a young vet out and we had we had a really good day we had we were bass fishing we caught some pike by accident but we had over 25 fish in the boat he caught his biggest bass and it was pretty cool you know yeah that sounds awesome it's got to be rewarding on your end super yeah it's just well i love i love guiding in general because you're able to create these memories and you know helping somebody catch a first muskie i mean i've had customers where they fished them 40 years and they're like you know they're in their 60s or 70s and they're you know, they're like, man, I don't know if I'll ever catch one. And then, you know, it finally happens and it's, it's such a cool thing. You know, I've had, I've had guys hug me and stuff, you know, they're so excited to, you know, to finally check that off their bucket list. So yeah, it's, it's great on all ends, you know, whether it be with a, a vet or, or, or just with one of my customers. So Eric, before we let you go, let's have one more question. What do you think the biggest mistake that anglers make for early season muskies? In my opinion, I think a lot of times people stick with things that have worked in previous years and you know personally we're we're constantly changing techniques and tactics to be successful with customers so you know sometimes people get stuck in a rut and they you know well it worked last year well last year was different you know last year water temps were touching 60 and now they're at least 10 degrees lower than that on most of the lakes that that we fish here in southeastern wisconsin so i think it's really easy to get stuck in a rut and do things because historically they worked and uh you know you gotta you gotta play in the current situation more than you're thinking on what maybe what you did last year or the year before or maybe what you had success with five years ago so i think that's the most important thing is be willing to adapt and fish based on the current conditions i think that's a great answer so eric we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come out and talk musky fishing with us before we head out why don't you give the listeners you know, your information, contact information, if they want to get in touch with you to book a trip. You bet. Uh, you can find me on the internet at tacticalangling.com or your best bet is to call or text me at 262-227-3093 or you can reach out on social media as well.
So, Eric, we just want to thank you again for coming out. Hopefully you have yourself a great start to the season. It's possible we'll catch up with you at some point yet this season. And for our listeners, we hope that, you know, if you're getting out this weekend, starting your season off, we hope you started off with a bang. We want to thank everybody for listening to another episode, and we'll catch everybody again next Wednesday. You bet. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you guys.